Yeah, we'll get so big, we'll just be like, what, what's your best episodes? And we'll make a book out of it. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be super easy, because we'll just print off yeah, the transcript. Well, actually, it won't work, because I delete these out of oh, here after I uh, edit them yeah. down. So, yeah. Okay, right. let's just do it. There's a podcast called The Big 4-0 with Ron and Peter. I'm Ron. I'm Peter. Every week we take a look at a movie that came out this week, 40 years ago. Uh, this week it is May 13th of 1983. The two movies, the two new movies, two big movies that opened this weekend were Breathless, starring Richard Gere, and Blue Thunder, starring Roy Scheider. Uh, Peter, as always, had you seen or heard or both of either of these films before? Uh, Breathless, never heard, never seen before and blue thunder i rented once at blockbuster in 1990 and literally did not remember a single thing about it uh so interesting it was like so seeing you, it. you watched it and yeah. rented it yep huh. <laughs> yep and didn't remember even when i when i rewatched it for this i nothing looked familiar or seemed familiar so i'm did you rent it or was it like your dad was going, I, <laughs> hey, we got to get this one? Right. I'm questioning everything out. now. Like, did my brothers rent it? And I just watched it while they had it. I just know that I I know that I saw it in, in about 90. And uh, yeah, yeah. Because 1990 is, uh, you know, obviously seven years after the movie came out. Right. And you'd have been 12, you know, 13 yeah. or so, probably yeah, 12. Yeah, 12 yeah. So whatever. It's just a it's a weird one to be like oh, I want to check that out. Although you could go by the the box, the box or with the a cool helicopter with guns it on it. Yeah, yeah, Locks exactly. Here. I was gonna say I don't I don't remember uh, ever seeing either one of these movies or even hearing of them except for I do remember the the boxes at okay. the video store. So I, I definitely never saw them, and I thought maybe before we watched them it'd be one of those cases where I'd be like oh yeah I I watched this <laughs> or I can't remember this. Um, but I, I don't think I'd ever seen either one of these and I don't think, uh, if it wasn't for kind of recognizing the boxes, not, nothing about either one of these movies rings any bells at all. I don't remember commercials as a kid or anybody really talking about them or, right. or anything like that. So, uh, but I, I do remember the, the titles and the, and the video box art and, and that sort of thing. Um, that also said, I thought when we decided to do Breathless, I thought this was with uh, Richard Gere and Kim Basinger, but I'm mixing it up with No Mercy, which came out a couple years later. But when we were talking about these, I was like, oh yeah, Breathless, Richard Gere and Kim Basinger. It's, I've always kind of wanted to check that one out. Because again, I remember the, the video box, yeah. but I don't <laughs> I don't think I ever saw it. I might have seen bits and pieces of that one, actually, maybe on TV or something, but I could also be getting confused with like Nadine or something. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that being on uh, on Super 18 all the time, but but anyway, yeah. So, best of my knowledge, uh, and and you know, definitely after watching it, I've I feel like I've I've watched them for the first time. So, uh, any thoughts on which one you want to tackle first here? Why don't we do Breathless? Uh, I'll just go in the order of the movies I watched them in. So, um, I have more <laughs> I have more humorous things to say about Breathless, anyways. So. <laughs> Oh yeah, this movie is something <laughs> something else. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, directed by well, it opened on May thirteenth, nineteen eighty three. Um, directed by Jim McBride. Uh, he's still with us at at eighty one years old. After this, he makes the Big Easy in eighty six. That's with uh, Quaid and um, Ellen Barkin. Yes, that's right. Yep. And uh, Great Balls of Fire, also with. Dennis Quaid as Jerry Lee Lewis. Um, two two movies I remember as a kid in the 80s. Those I definitely did see. 
Um, and then he moves into some TV stuff, uh, done some good things like Showtime's Six Feet Under, uh, but he hasn't really done anything since 2001, despite still still being alive, apparently. But uh, And it stars Richard Gere as Jesse and Monica. You, you've... Uh, I thought you had the the name of the oh the the actress, <laughs> actress who played Monica yeah the actress yeah. was um... <laughs> Valerie, Valerie Kapriski Kapriski okay. yes as Monica I didn't want to butcher yes. it so like, <laughs> yeah yep. my fault yeah no problem so as we were kind of discussing before this we started recording um, the it's a it's a bit muddy how Richard Gere knows her but he's a small time. Uh, I guess con man, car thief. He he steals a, a car a day in this movie. Which he is, really does. Yeah. Every, every every time he goes out and comes back in, he steals a new car. <laughs> Literally. Um, yeah, and uh, so they, it opens with him in Vegas, and he's getting run out of town, I guess, by some some comment. Or was he was he discovered, or was he just drunk and decided he was going to go back to this girl he met? Yeah, he wanted to go to to L.A. He was done with done with vegas i think he wanted to see monica okay it seemed like he was maybe i'm misremembering but wasn't he kind of on the run he 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 stole a car as is his way and he's drinking as he's driving through the desert and that's kind of how he gets into this whole thing but wasn't he running from some people or didn't somebody he seemed to be working with this with a chick who uh i don't know what her deal oh that's but he's like i you know we should probably get out of here you know and then he yeah. eyes up a Porsche um so I, I'm guessing yeah. he's just a hustler who you know finds his way to make money and probably skips town as quickly as possible right he came out of a, a casino or a restaurant or a bar or whatever it was and and uh you know I guess the implication is he he did something shady in there and it was time for him to skip town so he steals a a Porsche he's driving through the desert um, he's drunk. He's, you know, it's one of these movies where the guys crack a beer and don't think twice about, you know, driving with it and driving at a hundred miles an hour and maybe getting pulled over by the cops, which obviously happens. Um, and then through a series of unfortunate events, Richard Gere shoots the officer who pulled him over and he continues on his way to Los Angeles where he, uh, tries to find this this girl he's after and then yes that that's a tad muddy too they, i guess the implication is they knew each other or had met previously and she was on vacation there is in that las vegas yeah and then he yeah, yeah and then he was trying to get back to her because he was so in love uh, but in the meantime uh, he ends up killing this cop uh, he gets to L.A., and now he's trying to both uh, hide out from the police, not get caught, but then also woo her into coming with him to Mexico, where they're going to live happily ever after. That's the bare-bones structure of the movie. Yep. So I know I'm, I'm skipping a lot. We'll, we'll obviously get to it as we go through. But, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, what what did you think of this film, <laughs> Peter? I, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, you're... <laughs> your mileage is going to vary on how much Richard gear you are ready to <laughs> Richard gear <laughs> because yeah. he is in, I would say every scene of the movie, if not, and there's maybe one or two scenes without him, but he's literally in just about every scene and he talks and he talks and he's goofy as hell. And he sings and dances at the weirdest times. And he pats little children yeah. on the butt as they walk away after he gives them a part <laughs> of his boot. And, so, <laughs> yeah. The, what I so I was kind of going back and forth. Like, is he amazing in this, or is he just 
it's completely terrible. I don't know, but he he, he certainly keeps right. it he certainly keeps it interesting. I've never been a big fan of his. Um, there's movies that he's in that I like, but I think it was more the other people like Diane Lane and Unfaithful, or you know, Pretty Woman, obviously right. Julie Roberts. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I can I can take him or leave him. I think he's I think he's fine, and when he's good, he's good. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think any movie is necessarily better or worse because of him. I think right. Most of his good ones could be somebody else, but you know he's a, he's a good enough actor. I don't think he ever truly embarrasses himself or anything like that. At least not that I can think of. But then again, I haven't exactly watched his entire filmography. I've seen all the big ones, I think. Uh, but. But yeah, I, I I agree with you. And in this one, yes, I, uh, you know, I well, I'll tell you what I wrote. I wrote about this movie. This is an exceedingly obnoxious movie. <laughs> Gear is obnoxious. The dialogue is obnoxious. The use of soundtrack and filmmaking is obnoxious. Nope. Uh, almost everything the characters do and say, the characters themselves, the logic of the plot—it's all super annoying and obnoxious. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that that's why. <what> <laughs> sort of summation review now i color me surprised um and again i don't want to get ahead of ourselves but i i saw some good notices for this and i found myself kind of agreeing with some of the the positive things that were said so you know in in hindsight and looking back on it and, and trying to as we do put ourselves into 1983 shoes maybe i'm being a bit hard on it but yeah sitting there watching it a couple days yeah. ago all i can think about is how how goofy and uh just this movie doesn't doesn't it, it feels cheap and low budget you know in a yeah. way that you wouldn't think a, a, a like it needs an editor or something like this this movie would not be this slapdash and sloppy if it was made right today um and i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing i suppose you could argue that makes it you know something a bit yeah it's, original or a breath of fresh air or whatever it's not it's going to give it that early Hollywood. 80s charm, you know, that it's that it's not yeah. high budget. But at the same time, there, there's there's a lot weird about the the soundtrack has no cohesiveness to it at all. It's it's one of the most wild soundtracks I've ever heard. Um, yeah, he's just a dude into into rockabilly yeah. and, you know, 50s Elvis and uh, Jerry Lee Lewis yeah. and stuff. Like and then that. they, you know, put in like random uh random other songs like mariachi songs or you know they'll like kind of that that early right. 80s uh kind of funk uh that you'd hear on like the a team <laughs> you know as he's walking the street looking for his girl there's just some weird right. like well they didn't play anything remotely like this in any other part of the movie <laughs> yeah and then also just the fact that it's 1983 and it, it's sort of i mean he's obviously a, a 50s 60s guy um but Everyone else around him, nothing feels very contemporary about it. Right. You know, uh, it, even even the way he's stealing all these different cars, he somehow always finds these classic classics, cars. You know, yeah, I didn't 50s, even think about that until now. Yeah. <laughs> it's never like an 83 rabbit right. or whatever the fuck. Yeah, a Dodge <laughs> Dart or something. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And, and so in the opening moments of this movie, he, he steals this Porsche, uh, you know, as is his way. And he's looking through the glove box, and there's a he finds a gun in there. He's really just looking for a, a tape or, or what kind of music this guy has. And turns out he's he's pocketing his own favorite cassette anyway, which he just puts in there. And and uh, it's Jerry Lee Lewis, the the Breathless song, yeah. I guess is the, you know hence the title of the movie, um, is his favorite song. 
But anyway, as he's rummaging, he finds this gun, and then yeah, he gets pulled over for for whether it's speeding or drinking and driving or the stolen car or all three. I think the cop just lights him up for speeding. But uh, then there's this confusion where he he's holding the gun it accidentally goes off he accidentally shoots the cop and then um you know now he's on the run and then he he gets to la he finds uh uh monica valerie kaprisky yeah <laughs> and i just noted that that she's cute and her character character is fairly normal compared to you know the other people in this uh certainly compared to gear anyway uh but even she rings a little like false in the dramatic moments you know when she has to emote and stuff like that it it, it feels I don't, I don't know if she's just not a great actress or i don't know if it's just another weird thing about this movie and the direction it right you know, these characters go in um i don't, I don't know if you got I, that, I did yeah just a, a tad wooden off. or you know just um yeah, obviously. Not just that, but she felt like she was like playing to somebody. Like, like these two, it almost seems like they shot all their scenes separately or something. <laughs> and her, her reactions to him and the stuff he's saying, or, or vice versa, the way he he reacts to her, they just don't seem like two people on the same page. Yeah, at all. <laughs> and then yeah, when she's called on to cry and, and get very <laughs> emotional, it, it doesn't quite right. quite ring true. So. <laughs> I don't. What's her What's her background? Is she a, a model or? She's a, an actress a, from you know, France. Um, she, I can tell you, she was born in some city called Neuilly-sur-Seine, and yeah. uh, she became an actress at the age of seventeen, attending an acting school in in France. And uh, her American debut was oh, when she was. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, she was. Uh... Uh, I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just that her American debut was breathless. That was all. Mm. Sorry. Okay, glad, glad we went yeah. through. All that. <laughs> um. Well, when she was eight years old, her family moved to Cannes, uh, where she discovered the Cannes Film Festival and decided to become an actress. Uh, so at seventeen, she moved to Paris, attending high school during the day. And Cours Florent acting school at night. Uh, she appeared in a French erotic movie, Aphrodite. Made her American debut in About de Soufflé remake, Breathless. Uh, so uh, she's a, a a student at UCLA, I guess, architecture. Um, and I guess they only know each other from a weekend fling while she visited Vegas. And he just decides that he's so in love with her. He, Steals a Porsche. Um, yeah, and then uh, everything I said happens. He's he's speeding down the highway. He gets pulled over, discovers a handgun in the glove compartment, and he accidentally shoots an officer. And then he finds her, and then he essentially just, I mean, for, like, let's just think about this in broad strokes. You're a girl, mm-hmm. right? You are hanging out in Vegas. You meet this guy. You have a fling, whatever. You go back to L.A., this dude follows you and is just like, I love you and I want to be with you. And like, now we're going to be together. Now, number one, even if this was a normal guy, you'd be like, that's pretty Yeah, weird. maybe you should have what stayed in Vegas. Like, I didn't, I didn't say you could come to my house. <laughs> right. Yeah. And even if, even if you're somebody who's like, well, that was, that was a really romantic gesture. I can't believe this guy found me. And even if you really like this guy, maybe she too is like, mm. oh, I, I met this great guy in Vegas. It's so sad. I had to, you know, leave him and I'll never see him again or whatever. 
and then he shows up and I, I could see you sort of being surprised and happy and, and wooed by the idea that he drove all the way out there to see you. But then as soon as you realize what a fucking nut bar he is, like, like <laughs> exactly. it, it's nutty on its face. Like a lot of women would just be like, get the fuck out of here. That was just a weekend thing. But even if you're like, Oh, I hope I get to see that guy again sometime. Uh, I, I don't think that anything else he does <laughs> from here on right. out would lead her to to want to be with him. Right, nothing any... very endearing about but... anything he does after that moment. <laughs> Let's steal another I mean, car. Completely yeah. <laughs> well, he he is lying to her for the first little bit. What does he tell her? He tells her that I forgot what he says he does, but he he's just always like, "Oh, my other car is in the shop, yep. and that's why I got this new one." And so I don't, I don't know what he told her from the outset. He's got but... a fake ID. He's got, yeah, he's, there's not much he's telling her at first. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's on the run. He, uh, can't leave LA right away. Cause he's arranging to get paid, uh, for, for his previous car theft. Um, he breaks into her apartment. He waits for her to come home. She discovers him naked in her bed. <laughs> and, you know, that, this is what I'm saying. Like, this is the way he sort of uh-huh. introduces himself or reintroduces himself yep. to her. And I mean, no subtlety. You know, once again, somebody might be into this. Right. But... <laughs> uh, so she initially kind of declines his advances. But, uh, you know, later they just end up having sex in the shower. Uh, and he he tries to convince her to come with him to Mexico, uh, but she's the student who has big plans. She wants to graduate and get a job. Uh, so he shows up at her college. Uh, he intrudes on her presentation. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, just just all this stuff he's doing. And this is just in the first like day that he ends up in town. Right. And then he's getting all pissed off when she tells him he can't do stuff. And yeah, <laughs> it's just I, I don't know. Oh, he's absolutely Wait, like, I, I, is the read is the read supposed to be that they're both kind of weird and damaged and but see yeah that like, her like character kind of so, crazy too yeah her character so underdeveloped that I don't really know her motives or if that's who she is or if she just likes the Richard Gear experience that much that she's you know getting give getting away yeah, from I'm everything. sure some of it's yeah, some of it's enticing and exciting in the same way that, you know, teenage fantasies or, or young young girl or young men fantasies about being whisked away by this, uh, yeah. you know, whatever kind of lover. But uh, I don't know. She's She obviously cares about school. She's doing well. Uh, he comes in there and ruins her presentation to her to her professors. Yeah, very obnoxious. Or whatever. And, and, and yeah, and, and he she's just kind of laughing about it, even though later on she's kind of like you can't do that sort of stuff but uh either way not nearly as upset as you think she would be about this guy just showing up and i guess okay in in the movie's universe i guess we're supposed to accept she is charmed by him she does like him everything he's doing is is something that she likes but again in real life i feel like this guy would have exceeded his welcome (laughs) pretty much as soon as he showed up naked in her her bed and even if even if you're like okay great this hot guy's back awesome and you kind of let that slide then he is coming in he's messing with your um your project proposals and stuff and and he's like we gotta we're gonna go to mexico together at at what point is she just like uh (laughs) maybe this is a bridge too far you know a a little bit too fast exactly (laughs) 
So, you know, his his motivations are just to strictly live day by day. It almost seems like he doesn't he does. His ultimate plan is obviously Mexico, which he likes to say Mexico and Mexico and 20 different ways in 20 different voice patterns. (laughs) But anyways, he's just I don't know if even is he going to be a satisfied man when he reaches Mexico? Is that like his end goal or is he going to keep doing this until? Right. Well, I think part of the problem is he's he's crazy, right? Yes. Or to you know, just there, there's something wrong with him. He's not all there, and and that's not going to be. Yeah, this movie's weird. I was going to save this for later. Well, I won't I won't give all the parallels and everything. But there there's movies out there like this, like these um sort of crazy lover movies, mm-hmm. you know, where they take it on the lamb and, and they're just like so in love together, even though they're not quite right, and they end up shooting a bunch of people along the way, you know, or just, just whatever sure. happens, happens. And, um, the, I guess the movie could read like one of those, but it, it isn't really like, that's not really what the movie's putting forth here. So it's stuck in this weird in between ground between some sort of like these two could become, you know, natural born killers yeah. or something, or, or she could be like, fuck you, you're crazy. But, Neither happens. Right, exactly. You know, like, we don't get just, either of those. Right? He sits around fucking up. She kind of gets pissed, but then she's like, can't let him right. go. And um, yeah, I don't know, until it kind of limps to its inevitable sort of unmemorable conclusion. It, it, it's like the movie should have either, go, either gone harder or it should have been more realistic. Yeah. I saw one person describe the ending as, I saw one person describe the ending as somber. And I'm like, the way that ending was edited and shot, there was nothing. <laughs> It was not a. Uh, it was not somber at all. It was more right. kind of cringy. But well, I think again, you're supposed to be sort of like like taken by their this huge plight that they're right. <laughs> experiencing, both in their relationship and with the law and all that stuff. But it just doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of got what the movie was going for, trying to do, but it it just didn't yeah, stick the landing. I guess. Yeah. Which, it's kind of a common gripe about a lot of these movies we watch. And, and again, I don't know if it's just watching it 40 years later. Like, would this movie have felt more natural or normal 40 years ago? Right. I, I don't know. Right, exactly. It if they, made it, if they made it now, what would it look like? You know, it would, it would probably be even more violent or more... Uh, they wouldn't have had it... Maybe more dour. Yeah, or, yeah, or yeah, dour. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's... It's it's okay that this movie has this weird tone. Yeah. That's not really the problem. No, the you know, silliness, I kind of crazy the silliness and... was actually growing on me by the end. It was it was weird. It yeah. was a weird thing that I was not expecting to happen, but it did. But it seems so no stakes, right? You know, or or low stakes, yeah. or whatever you want to call it. It just it doesn't. Once it establishes this weird tone of Gear being this sort of cartoon character uh, that just. You know, he's going to act goofy. He's going to steal a car. He's going to crash it. He's going to, you know, get away. And um, and it's not in the way of, like, true romance or something like that. Yeah. It's in a very silly, like, we're supposed to kind of be laughing with him or Adam or both kind of kind of way. And it just doesn't really ever feel like there's any stakes to this thing. Other than maybe her character, which, yeah, you don't want her to throw her life away on this guy or, or get caught or shot or whatever he might drag her into uh, but again every time they're together it just seems like everything is just kind of a, a laugh and it's not really played for dramatics really not very so, right not very well for sure 
yeah, I don't know if I don't know if I'm missing something that the movie is trying to put forth. You know, maybe that's the whole point. Maybe it's like, you know, without without telling us a hundred percent, this this is a this guy's nuts. He's gonna get her killed. Uh, you know, and she's she's just gonna go along for the ride because she's charmed by him and and all that. But the movie doesn't really make its case the way a movie like Natural Born Killers yeah. or True Romance or some other, you know, Bonnie and Clyde or Badlands or whatever it is. A, a guy gets a girl and yep. you know brainwashes her, or messes with her until all of a sudden now she's a criminal too and uh, throws away everything and that sort of thing. And I get it; it doesn't maybe want to be that kind of movie. Maybe it wants to be just what it is um but still uh from a filmmaking perspective and and gear and some of the lines and dialogue i mean man this movie is just <laughs> really it's out really there. all over the yeah, place for sure mm-hmm. you know i was i was thinking the uh the jim mcbride uh you know once i once i heard jerry lee lewis and i'm like oh Annie did great balls of fire i wonder if like without knowing too much about great balls of fire i wonder if he was like he was like, I got to direct this movie. I love Jerry Lee Lewis. Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe, uh, the director is, is, is sort of the, you know, this character's alter ego. Sure. Sure. Someone he's really into. Yeah. 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 Something that he wanted, just wants to do stuff about things that are, uh, you know, associated with 50s yep. music and Jerry Lee Lewis and that kind of stuff, yeah, so, re- which yep. is fine. I, I respect mean, that. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not a poorly made movie, although some of those action scenes are pretty weird. You can tell they just pushed uh, you know, fast forward on the <laughs> Yeah, the way the car the would editing. Yeah. The way the car would yeah. swerve around a corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Bad sixties like editing yeah. or uh, yeah. And again, is that supposed to be an homage to the way things were in the sixties <clears throat> or is that just sloppy right. on the I don't I don't know. Yeah, I I honestly don't know what they were going for with the the tone of this movie, but um, one cool thing is it starts off with the Orion Pictures logo, and that's something you just don't get to see every day. Yeah, I did note that as well. That was kind of nice. Um, so it made uh, nineteen million uh, in nineteen eighty three dollars. That's a solid hit. Yeah, not bad at all. Takes it up to about takes it up to about sixty million these days. Uh, had a budget of 7.5, so it more than doubled it. I guess that's usually the mark of a, a hit. Um, and then as far as critical you know, acclaim or lack thereof, it, it kind of falls somewhere in the middle. Uh, I, I know Roger Ebert gave it two or two and, two and, and a half, half stars. Yeah. yeah. He um, mentioned something about liking gear in it which i initially i thought he was sort of the worst part of it and i was kind of like what the heck's gear trying to do in this but i guess there is something to his performance i think it's it doesn't ring true by any means but you know he's committed he's doing his thing and uh yeah i I don't know i guess he's whatever he's going for works um or he's he's good at it but Again, it's a weird character in a weird movie. It's hard to. Did Did you ever see Internal Affairs with him and Andy Garcia? I did. I liked it when I was yeah. younger. I haven't seen Me it. Me neither, but I I will always remember what a. I mean, that is a. That's a good gear. Uh, like when he's more when he's more reserved. Yeah, performance. When he's yeah. more reserved like that, he can. He's like twice as creepy, and because he's got the look for sure. He's. You know, he's he's not a bad actor, like we said. He's he's very serviceable. He's just never he's never like 
makes a movie. Officer and a Gentleman, uh, he's good in, but I again, that's the whole Louis Gossett Jr., Deborah Winger. There's a bunch of things, yeah. reasons that movie's good. And if that was Kevin Costner or something instead, mm-hmm. you know, that it wouldn't have necessarily have made it a better or worse movie. Yeah, good so. point. But yeah, so I don't know. I, I guess my bigger, you know, sort of issue or whatever with this movie is just, again, the way that, um, you know, I, I like, I liked What's-Her-Face. I, I thought she was, uh, I shouldn't say What's-Her-Face. I like <laughs> Melanie I <liked> Valerie <laughs> yeah, Kaprisky. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought she was cute. I, I thought she was fine. I think she's miscast in terms of somebody who can do great drama. You know, the scenes where she has to cry and act like she's very desperate don't really don't really come off. Um, but, but you know, it's just, to, again, talking about where she's at in life, she has these moments of, I'm not screwing up my life plan, but she keeps falling for him despite this movie, not really setting up their romance or why either of them would want to be with the other. I mean, I get he's obsessed with her and he's just kind of a weirdo and he's... And he, he shows how jealous he is. He keeps saying, like, every time a, a guy's voice is on her answering machine, he freaks out. At one point, he chucks it into the fucking pool. He just takes the answering machine and throws it into the pool. And they just had a, you know, a fling or I don't know. I don't, the movie doesn't really lay out if they just had a one night stand or if they, you know, he seems to think they connected. Yeah. But I, I don't know. That all happened before the movie starts. So we don't get to see it. But he just strikes me as a guy who's completely obsessed with her and, and jealous and, and the movie just makes it seem like he kind of chose her at random as his object of, you know, desire or obsession among other options. I mean, yeah. there, there's that one girl that, hanging over his car. Right yeah. At the it looked like Vanna White. Um, yeah. It was, right. right. I mean, he, and the, the heart wants what it wants, I guess. I'm not saying you should show some other girl cause she is there or looks better yeah. or whatever it is, but um, it just, it doesn't seem like he seems like the kind of guy who's, you know, probably just, hooking up with whoever he can in Vegas and why he fixated on her is never really made clear, but, but okay, let's just say you've, you know, you fell hard, you fell in love, whatever, but uh, why she doesn't, you know, why she would be over head over heels for him and not thinking he's a complete psycho. And you know, it just, that doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. He <laughs> smacks her at one point when she's just trying to like make a life decision. We have, we have yet another big four yeah. Oh, <laughs> woman getting smacked by the lead actor moment i know it's crazy yeah. <laughs> these these movies are such a crazy time capsule yeah. of some stuff that was just acceptable <laughs> or, or done back then but i don't think it was necessarily so i think i think it's in these movies because you're supposed to go like oh that's too far yeah. or i mean even then we knew that was but but yeah the 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 ease with which people would use that in movies back then compared to now is definitely a, <laughs> right. a different thing. Yeah. But. Yeah. I like how over the course of the day, you know, he goes from, I love you and I'm obsessed with you and you better not talk to anyone else. And I'm taking you to Mexico to have our baby to, he's like, you know, get out of here. And you're, you know, he's just acting like she's annoying half the time. And, you know, he's, he's hot and cold with her yeah. once she kind of succumbs to him or they, or they make a plan that they're going to be together. And I guess I get he's stressed out. There's like a manhunt for him. He keeps seeing his picture in you know newspapers and on yeah. <laughs> TV shows and stuff like that. Um, and you could argue, you know, it's his character, but I think it's a pretty comic uh, occurrence or common occurrence with uh, these start kind of star-crossed lovers that start hot and heavy, and they try to portray this convincingly, and then after everything else, you know, it just feels sort of jarring and out of nowhere to have them just be like you know shut up or yeah. you know, do something <laughs> right completely out of character yeah. it's like what 
As for the uh, the um, rest of the cast, that you know, it's it's one of the rare movies we've done where there isn't like, oh hey, there's also that guy. I mean, yeah, there's like one or two people that I'm like, I've seen that guy in a movie before, but like in terms of cast, like it's pretty much just him and her, and then some, you know. Ran, you know the random cop scenes uh, that come and go within a minute or so. There's not. Uh, that's that's always I something did I note, enjoyed. Uh, John, I noted John P. Ryan in here. He's a, a staple of '80s and '90s action movies. You know, he's a, he's a that guy. Okay. Um, he's usually he's usually a, a bad guy. Uh, here he's he's a cop after gear, and he's pretty good. He he's the one. Oh, who he's the says, main cop. After... Don't f u c k yes. with the LAPD. I've seen that guy before. I was gonna <laughs> ask. Um, yeah, John P. Ryan. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he is in Delta Force too, which I did see. Um, yeah. You know what this podcast needs is some like on hold music while. <laughs> One of us looks up something look up just for humor. But yeah, uh, John P. Ryan died in 2007, unfortunately. I feel like I've seen him and stuff since then, but I guess it's probably just something I've watched from uh, more recent movies. He was in Bound. Um, I mean, if you consider 30 years ago recent, but yeah. Um, White Sands with Mickey Rourke. He's in The Right Stuff, also in 83. Oh, okay. That's an Oscar winner, so that's probably a big thing for him. I saw The White... Oh, yeah, he's just one of those guys who yeah. pops up and stuff. I saw White Sands at the Brownport Cinema, and I was literally the only person there. <laughs> My mom dropped me <laughs> yeah. off in you know, I... May of 92. It wasn't a big hit. No, it was not. <laughs> I have it on uh, DVD, believe it or not. Is it is Rourke and Defoe... Both in that? Yep. Okay. And Mary, uh, not Mary Stuart Masterson, what's the, uh, Mary Elizabeth Mary Elizabeth Masterson, yeah. 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 All right. She's very good in there. There is a shower scene. Well, she... In case you're wondering. Uh, I'm, I might have to check it out again. <laughs> it's literally the best part of that movie. Yeah. I think the thing, this was back when I was, like, just consumed by, like, cool posters, yes. you yes. know, and... And then it was like Warner Brothers, and I'm like, oh yeah, they made you know Lethal Weapon and Seagal yeah. movies and like all my favorite shit. And it's cops. It's got like a cool guy with a gun on the cover, <laughs> and um, it totally seduced me into wanting to see it. Yeah. And and yeah, it turned out to be this kind of slow moving. Um, kind of like To Kill a Sunrise. Yes. Remember that one yeah. with uh, Gibson and Kurt Russell? Yeah, I I always love the box, but every time I watch that movie, so now granted, I was yeah. ten or whatever it came up, but yeah, it just and think it, about it that cast so too, adding Michelle Pfeiffer. It's like, and that name's cool, yeah. and the cover's cool, like you said. It was yeah, it was a vastly Poster's disappointing awesome. movie. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of movies like that where I remember like hanging the poster on my wall, even though I either never made it through the movie or or didn't like it or never saw yeah. it. It was just like the 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 art is super cool and it would make anybody want to check it out right and then there's that ending which i just wrote that ending ugh (laughs) it was (laughs) oh the moment he starts singing breathless and i'm like oh my god dude just blast the man (laughs) and it's going on it was probably only 15 seconds but it was the it was some of the cringiest 15 seconds i've had like yeah, just the close-ups of his yeah. face and pointing at the camera and, and, and that gyrating, run- shaking yeah. dance he does. She starts running. I like, you got to give him credit, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean the yeah, like you said, the way he's dancing and, and all that. And he does this several times throughout the movie. He just, like, busts into that out of nowhere. And, <laughs> and, and again, I don't know. Like, is it supposed to be weird? Are we supposed to go, like, God, this guy's crazy? Or, or is this, like, his idea of thinking he's, like, 
John Travolta or something. Like, right. like, is this so, are we supposed to take this seriously yeah. that he's actually this kind of cool hip guy with problems? I right. I don't know, and I don't really know how to explain it's, it either. But it's definitely just it's one of the bigger challenges that I enjoy having. It's a good it's a good challenge, but watching all these movies over again for this podcast you you're constantly wondering are were they in on the joke were they you know were they were they trying to make it like this when they yeah maybe this is exactly what they wanted maybe yeah. this is the movie they wanted to make and maybe we were all supposed to just be like uh yeah check out this this great performance by this guy acting mm-hmm. you know like this this crazy yeah. guy or being unhinged um I don't, I don't know, and I don't want to be the kind of guy that looks back on something older and just goes like, "Man, that sucked," or like, "They should have done that better." But um, I don't, I really don't know what this movie was going for. I don't know if we're supposed to be in on this this joke with him, or if if it's just bad acting, or, or what. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, and then to end it with that sort of quasi cliffhanger, even though I guess you're supposed to know exactly what's going to happen. It's yeah. almost just like they didn't want to take the time to do a big death scene or something. You <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> save on save on blood packs for the next production. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd, um, I'd give this movie two stars. I, two and a half feels too generous, you know, like because yeah. I, I think two is perfect because, uh, you know, the way it was starting was certainly a, a one star affair. And then it yeah. got. Uh, then I just I got more into it. I guess it was it was growing on me the absurdity of it. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I agree with your assessment of it. Um, I I don't know. Every despite everything I said, I can I can kind of see this. the The film has since gained minor cult status, right? And and this is this is from uh, Wikipedia. Um, the Quentin Tarantino, I guess, cited as is one of the coolest movies, commenting, here's a movie that indulges completely in all my obsessions, comic books, rockabilly music, and the movies. Uh, the Silver Surfer poster in uh, Freddie Dewendyke's apartment in Reservoir Dogs is an homage to Jesse Silver oh, wow. Surfer obsession, apparently. Okay. Um, also, and, and Wikipedia doesn't note this, but just for my own film and Tarantino knowledge, if you look at True Romance, which Tarantino wrote but didn't direct, um, that was Tony Scott, whose debut film came out the same year. Actually, it was one week before this yep. one, uh, to be exact. We talked about it last week. Hunger. Um, that's that's yep. the hunger. Uh, but True Romance, despite Tarantino not directing, not only feels kind of like he did, because Tony does a, a good job of bringing in uh, Tarantino's you know style, and uh, it seems similar to how Quentin would have, you know, would have made that yep. movie if had he directed it. So it's got a little more polish and sheen or, or whatever, but uh, I, I think it it's often mistaken for a Tarantino movie. And, and I think that's mostly because of its script, but yeah. I don't think anybody's like, like, why does Tarantino make this one weird movie that doesn't look like he directed <laughs> yeah. it? I think, you know, if you, if you think that's a Tarantino movie, the, the direction is, it's fine. So. And, and, um, but really Scott clearly quick. liked, sorry. Oh, ahead. I was what? just gonna say real quick. Uh, that's the difference between that and natural born killers, which doesn't feel like a Tarantino movie at all. And it's right. edited so 100%. weirdly that it's, I can't even get yeah. through that movie. <laughs> so yeah. Oliver yeah. Stone. Well, in, in a decade later, that could have been Tony Scott. Cause that's the kind of stuff he was starting <laughs> yep. to do in, yep, right. you know, in the early two thousands. <laughs> so he's a, he's a bridge from uh, <laughs> Tarantino to, <laughs> to Oliver yeah. Stone, I guess. But I don't know why Oliver Stone and uh, Tony Scott got so 
goofy with that and and i have a, a theory that involves heavy drug use but um... <laughs> i think you may be onto something <laughs> <laughs> anyway but uh scott clearly clearly liked and you know more importantly kept in all the stuff tarantino yeah. kind of fetishizes and whatnot in his script because in that movie you have surfer music you have rockabilly music you have an entire scene set in a comic book store and romantic dialogue about comic books and a couple who are clearly kind of mentally unhinged yeah. so um Anyway, I, I, I say kind of forget Reservoir Dogs or whatever is the through line to this uh, as being an inspiration to Tarantino, but look at uh, True Romance. But anyway, again, I, I can kind of see what Karen, what uh, Quentin's getting at uh, about this and, and, you know, why that's good and why someone would consider this a, a cult hit and, and dig its craziness. Um, maybe it's because this is my first time watching it. And I don't have any nostalgia for it. And it hasn't been, I haven't had 40 years to let it grow on me or whatever, but um as a first viewing, at least, it, it feels like kind of a rambling mess. You know, yeah. I'm just not really really sure what to, to make of it's... it. So, sure. Two, two and a half stars, if you want to be kind. I think if we were to say to somebody, you know, in, in our age bracket, hey, go check out this Breathless movie, they're going to come away with a big fat what? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, thinking, thinking Richard Gere is terrible and... Um, <laughs> And yeah, it's not it's not that bad. Uh, you know, it, it was it was entertaining enough to watch in a in a weird way. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's definitely more of just a curiosity than a, than a good. Right. I'd watch it again just to see if there's something like because there's so much happening that if there's something yeah. catches you again. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. That you might want to see just for right. I feel like it's one of those movies. If I would have said to somebody like, "Watch Breathless," they'd be like, "What the fuck? Like, why is that?" So? Like, yeah. but if I was like, "Breathless sucks," or "Breathless doesn't have anything weird or crazy going for yeah. it," or you know, whatever, somebody might watch and be like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> the movie is completely unhinged." Yeah. And, and it was. It was a weird fucking time. If there's one underlying uh, theme to this podcast, it's just how strange it is that some of these movies are considered. Like theater ready, yeah. uh, mass audience, you, you know, like <laughs> the dialogue. This is a the... movie we're gonna hope opens yeah. number one at the box office right. and makes money, and, and a lot of them do and yeah. did. And this is crazy. Yeah, we'll get into the box office weekend when we get through our next one. Okay. Um, Peter, take us into the next one. All right, our <laughs> uh, our second movie of the podcast is Blue Thunder, which was also released. May 13th. May 13th. Yep, 1983. Yep. Um, we discussed at the beginning if we had seen it, uh, but I'll I'll ask you right away what uh, what were your thoughts? Um, I did not dislike this movie. I the coming into it for some reason I expected something a little more like um, so I expected like an espionage thriller. I expected something, you know, maybe dealing with the the Russians, being that this is kind of like '82 Cold War. Yeah. Uh, Roy Schneider is in it. Schneider, sorry. And um, you know, I, I I expected something maybe more along the lines of um, anyway. Oh, like Clint Eastwood's Firefox, yes. which came out in '82. Mm-hmm. We didn't cover it. That movie, um, I have actually not sat down and watched that one. That's a that's a Clint blind spot for me, and the only reason being is that I've heard it's it's a movie that looks cool on the poster. It's Clint like supposedly flying the a, orange, a, like, sort of like a stealth. Yeah. 
He's got like orange. Yeah, eyes. so he's standing yeah. there with his helmet. He's in like a flight suit. He's holding a helmet. Yeah. The big plane is like behind him, and and yeah, there's there's like kind of this orange glow to it. And but I've always just heard that it's a very stately movie. Um, and then when it gets action packed in the end, it's actually very silly. Okay. I'm not a huge guy about like military stuff, so I just I, I never bothered with that one. And there's a chance I've seen parts of it at some point or on TV or whatever. But um, anyway, I expected something like that. I thought that's what this was going to be like. I thought it was going to be kind of a serious movie, but. I was a little shocked to discover it's kind of a like Norris Eastwood Bronson just yes you know it, it's a little it's not quite as as shitty as some of the canon stuff um I don't mean shitty in a bad way but you you know what I mean mm-hmm. like I like canon stuff but they're they're known as sort of you know just just garbage stuff yeah. but um I it, it's got that sensibility it's got that uh, vibe Shider yeah. is supposed to be yeah and he's supposed to be this sort of like kind of half-assed dirty hairy type rule breaker cop and the movie revels in a bunch of cliches and stuff. And um, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but I, that's not what I was expecting. Right. I was expecting a, like a, a military thriller of some sort or, or something that uh, purports to be a little more highbrow yeah. than, than this movie actually ended up being. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I was, I was prepared to kind of be bored by this movie and have to like, just, just watch a, a military thing, which is not necessarily my, my thing. So I, I did find it um, at, I don't know if refreshing is the right word, but at least surprising that it actually turned out to just be sort of a typical cop gets his new partner, young, like, you know, we'll, we'll get into all the stuff the movie does, but, um, and then just the only difference is they use a helicopter and, and it kind of explores the life of those like helicopter patrolmen, which also is kind of original and different. And I mean, you, you never see that kind of the stuff. Guys yeah. Fly it's a big police copters. It's a yeah. big job in LA that, you, yeah, there's not many movies made about. Yeah. So I thought that was that was cool. Um, is it better that they kind of chose the sort of cliched buddy cop movie route for some of this? Uh, I I'd probably not. Um, I'll get into. I, I made a bunch of notes about certain dialogue points and uh, characters and stuff like that. But um, did it make for a probably more fun movie than I thought I was going to get stuck with? Uh, yeah, I I think so. So. I was either pleasantly surprised or or a little Lightly let down, depending surprised. on yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what yeah what <laughs> well, that, what your view is yeah. of this. But. That's kind of similar to to my thoughts. Uh, <clears throat> my main thing is John Badham. I'm a I'm a big fan of his. Uh, Stakeout's one of my favorite buddy cop movies ever. Uh, it's kind of an underrated, very funny, um, but also sure. some good action and you know, like good characters and stuff and. Uh, I never saw Bird on a Wire, okay. but that is that's a Badham movie, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So John John Badham, I, I just made note here. He uh, did Saturday Fever in '77, which obviously was a mondo hit. Um, and then after this, he does War Games, American Flyers, Short Circuit, Stakeout, Bird on a Wire, The Hard Way. Mm. Point of No Return, another stakeout, Drop Zone, and Nick of Time in '95. Man, um, dude, hard. His last feature, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's like none of these movies are anything anybody's gonna go like, oh, those are like my favorite movies. But if you just think of all those movies, yeah. there are people out there who probably love at least yeah, one love of those, the hard way, not, love you know. love stakeout and stakeout. He did stakeout too, did we say? Yeah, another or another stakeout, stakeout yeah. Yep, I thought that was super funny. That one, most people are just like, ah, oh, they never should. The have done sequel, that. Which, oh, I love that. I agree. Yeah, like, it, yeah. 
I think the sequel is super yeah, funny. Yeah, Dennis. The, at least the two of them are funny. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a dumb, it's a dumb movie, I guess. But there's some great lines. Yeah. The, Even Rosie O'Donnell's the cast is Yeah, Rosie O'Donnell's funny in yeah, it. Yeah. Um, the best part of that is, <laughs> um, well, there's two two really funny parts. One is uh, Rosie O'Donnell says to um, Richard Dreyfus. Um, Look at you walking all around here in black. All this because he's always wearing like black turtleneck and black pants. She's like, "Who do you think you are, Steven Seagal?" <laughs> I thought that was pretty. Funny. <laughs> um, but that's not even the, the first part. I was gonna say my favorite part is where they're eating yeah, the and uh, Dreyfus is. Uh, oh well, yeah, that's a good scene too. Oh. But in terms of dialogue, um, they're sitting there eating and Richard Dreyfus is just getting pissed about being there. Emilio Estevez is you know just being his like kind of young. He's partner, supposed to be his son, right? With all this. Yeah, they're pretending to be yeah. sad, and then uh, they're eating uh, hummus and some other shit, like just vegetables, and that's why Dreyfus is pissed, and he's like, uh, can I get a steak or whatever? And then SMS is like, um, uh, he says something like, some, uh, some, I forget the word, but like a dead vegetable or dead uh, animal or dead whatever it is, and he goes, a side of hummus? A homicide! And then... <laughs> Richard, uh, Richard Gear, Richard Dreyfus just pulls his gun on him, and, <laughs> like cocks it, <laughs> completely stone faced. Yeah. Just does that, and SMS yeah. is laughing away. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that ice cream scene is great though, too, where they all yeah, get. Yeah, Dennis uh, Farina gets uh, the head the freeze. Yeah, headaches. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Farina's the man. I love Any Dennis Farina. R.I.P. Dennis. Yeah. Uh, so his last feature film was Incognito in 1997. It's like an art forger oh. drama starring uh, Jason Patrick. Um, and then he basically just did TV afterwards. He's still with us. He's 83, lives in England. Uh, his last directing credit was an episode of Siren on the Freeform basic cable network. All right. Um, that's owned by ABC, subdivision of Disney TV. Okay. I guess I've never looked into that. But uh, before that, he did episodes of CBS stuff like the Rush Hour series in 2016, Arrow on the CW in 2015. Working backwards from there, he was pretty consistent with CBS, NBC, CW, USA-type dramas, uh, Psych, Supernatural, Constantine in Plain Sight, The Shield. Huge list of 2000, 2010 stuff on, on TV. And then apparently he just hit, hit 80 or so and uh, decided to retire. So at least to date, it's um, a damn good you know, career. It's good for him. Yeah. Right? yeah. So yeah. he probably never got to make his, his one big right. one, you know, blockbuster or his, uh, his Oscar thing or, or whatever, but he's a, he's such he a serviceable good, director. So. And, and I think later in the year we'll be covering war games. I think it actually comes out in the summer. Maybe, um, this one is probably more similar to War Games, but man, you really see it once he gets into Stakeout as to what he's capable of as a director and the way he's able to implicate humor and action so well. Anyways, uh, John Badham, a big fan of, and so I guess I was expecting a little more of, you know, more maybe better action because by the time you get into Stakeout or... Um, the hard way that he was really perfecting the action comedy very well. And even if this didn't have comedy, you would have thought maybe you would have had some maybe better villains or just maybe a better, uh, I don't want to say action sequences because some of them are quite impressive. A lot of that, those helicopter stunts are pretty impressive where they're flying right through the city. Yeah. Uh, keep in mind, this was five years before Stakeout and, uh, you know, only I'm not sure how many movies into his career, like four or something. But uh, up till then, he didn't really cut his teeth on a whole lot of a lot of action stuff. So maybe this is kind of the 
the beginning of all that. I yeah, I, I don't I'm again I, I'm not sure what I was expecting, so I wasn't exactly thinking it was gonna be an action extravaganza for sure. So I was kind of pleased with what I got. But yeah, there you go. It's all about expectations and what you're right. coming into it with, I guess. But but I do agree. He's a good director. I like all the stuff we talked about. I always kind of put him in a camp with uh, your sort of Rob Cones and Steven Summers and uh, Peter Hames. You know, those kind of guys who are just sort of good, solid journeyman directors. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Paul Mazursky. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Roger Donaldson. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Roger Spottiswood. Roger Spottiswood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all those guys. Because I mean, you look at this list of movies: Nick of Time, Drop Zone, um, Point of No Return, The Hard Way. Uh, you know that any of those guys could have made those movies, yep. and that's not a knock at any of them. It's just you know, if you look at any of their filmographies, they've got great movies on there too, but they could have been made by you know the other dude. Right. So. It's just funny sometimes who looks up and who doesn't. You know, Rob Cohn directs the first uh, Fast and the Furious movie. Who would have thought that becomes some, right. you know, huge right. thing? Um, and uh, who's the guy? Steven Summers. You know, he eventually. Or no, I'm thinking of Joe Johnson. He, you know, he starts with like Rocketeer oh. and stuff like that. Eventually, he's yeah making Marvel movies and stuff. So yep. um, it's just a, you know, all those guys kind of came up at the same time and kind of made some of these just studio action programmers and. Next thing you know, they're off to the races. I, I don't know why it never really happened for John Bottom. But yeah, I'll take some stuff like uh, Stakeout over, you know, whatever, Winter Soldier yeah. or whatever the thing was. <laughs> right. Joe Johnson. It's... In, t- in terms of, in terms of, I'll say one more thing about Stakeout, and I know I kind of said it before, but in terms of buddy cop movies, it's it's kind of, I don't know if it's underrated. Maybe it's, maybe it's perfectly rated. Maybe there's a good amount of people who like it, but. It's one of my favorites, you know, besides, you know, it's not on the level of like a lethal weapon or, or one of those, right, right. but it's, but yeah, it's, it's up there. Yeah. It's up there for sure. And it's, yeah. it just does comedy in action so well and having Estevez and Dreyfus. Yeah. They're are, great. And, it, and it's a whole different animal than lethal weapon or last boy scout or Tango. Like mm-hmm. it's not that kind of movie. So kind of right. like midnight run is also, I mean, they're the only De Niro as a cop, but you know, whatever, like it, it's, it's in that same vein of mismatched yep. partners or whatever. Um, yep. And it focuses a little more on the comedy than the, than the action and the actual, you know, story and drama. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, I think it's a, it's a solid movie to your point about what, how it's rated. Um, I think when I was younger, I remember people talking about it quite a bit, or at least remember always seeing good reviews of it. Cause I would go back and look at reviews of stuff from when, when I was younger, yeah. when I finally started getting into movies and I was always like, Oh wow. People really like stakeout. And I finally watched it. And I was like, Oh, that's good. And, and now I really haven't heard anything about it in 20 years or 25 right. years or whatever. Every once in a while, somebody will put out a tweet like this movie slept on or whatever. And mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of people agree, but you still just don't hear people talk about it too much. So uh, yeah, I agree. It's probably probably underrated at this point. And yeah, yeah, I that's agree. A... When people are picking out buddy cop movies to watch, that's one they should definitely. Mm. And the and the yeah. hard ways the hard ways a ton of fun too. I uh, yeah. hard ways great. I highly recommend that movie. Uh, James Woods. James Woods nineties is just yeah, he's on chain. fire. I yeah. remember my dad like howling, laughing at James Woods lines in the hard way, and I'll yeah. never forget that. That's <laughs> he was on fire. Um, Digstown, this, the specialist, Digstown, the yeah, yeah, yeah. vampires, like he's yeah, he had a great '90s. Too bad he's such a 
piece of shit. <laughs> he is a piece of shit, dude. <laughs> at, uh, at some point this summer, I think it's the summer, we'll be covering war games. So, uh-huh. yeah, uh, coming up. I think this this will be on more on the spectrum of that in terms of in terms of execution and drama. It's a little more in that sense, more dramatic and more. Yeah, it is weird that after War Games um, and Short Circuit, and I guess even Stakeout, all those movies were sizable hits. Um, I I don't know if it's that he didn't get a lot of work or if he just didn't, you know, hit with stuff as much like Bird on a Wire or The Hard Way or or whatever, but it it just doesn't seem like he really had his day, you know? Nobody was like, here's this big budget, you know, action thriller or whatever for you to to do. I I mean, War Games is kind of that, and, and that worked. Uh, yeah. so, and, and short circuit too. I, I don't know what the budgets are in those movies. I'm sure they're not huge, but I'm just saying they're, they're positioned as these big kind of sci-fi family tentpole movies. And, and then they both did well. And then, uh, he just kind of, kind of has this carves himself out as a like niche, uh, comedy action guy. And it, it yep. never really, he never really moves beyond that, unfortunately. So it's too bad, but do you ever see Nick of time Gosh. with Depp? Uh, who else is in it? Uh, I think Christopher Walken's the bad guy, maybe, or something. Anyway, it's like a real-time thing. He's got like 90 minutes to assassinate a... Uh, I, don't, I don't know what it is. A presidential candidate or a senator or something. and uh, He must have assassinate a politician in exchange for his kidnapped daughter's freedom. Ah, uh, right, right, yep. It's a hostage thing, yeah. Yeah. So, that was like 95 or whatever. I remember at the time yeah, it Charles S. Dutton. And, yeah. Is Walken yeah, in that, it? Yeah, Walken, Depp, Walken, and okay. Charles S. Dutton are your three big ones. Yeah, I don't think I ever saw that one because reviews weren't very good on it, but it sounds like something that would have normally been up my yeah. alley. But, but it just kind of came and so, went. Nobody really went to see it, and uh, also yeah. it didn't get good reviews, so I just never bothered with it. But Never saw <laughs> Point of No Return. Uh, I heard... I know... I knew friends who really liked it, and then but then I'd see... Like the critics kind of, I never saw yeah. it though. It's a remake or an American remake of La Femme Nikita from mm. Luke Besson in 1990 yeah. or whatever that was, 89. Um, I think uh, Jeff Lester George and I went to go see that at, I don't know what theater, but Prospect we, maybe, we or, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> something like that, <laughs> Brownport, yeah. whatever we were going to at the time. Um, and it's fine, you know, it's just one of those kind of 1993 movies that. You know, you never need to really see again. I, I watched it again not too long ago because I bought a like a three pack of you know that and Passenger Fifty Seven and some other random Warner Brothers action movie. You know, <laughs> that's and yeah. um, I was like, oh, I haven't seen this since '93, and it's fine. It's not great. You don't need to rush out and see it. But yeah, but that's what I'm saying. That's kind of the mode uh, he fell into. You know, just just sort of. Yeah, these movies are going to theaters. They're maybe doing all right, but nobody really yeah. remembers them. Nobody talks about them. A, you know, a year after they, a week after they come out, or whatever. And, right. Um, you know, but well, at least he had some success in TV, and it sounds like he worked right up until about eighty or so, and now he's just chilling yeah. out. So we should all be so lucky, Peter. Exactly. Uh, so this movie, Frank Murphy, he's a, uh, he's got some PTSD issues. He um, he's kind of a, a loose cannon cop, as we've as we've seen and played by Roy before. Scheider, right? Yeah, played by Roy <laughs> Scheider. Um, 
he uh, he's a he's now uh, basically a patrol a helicopter patrol officer essentially, and he gets a partner. Uh, Richard Lyman Good, played by right. Daniel Stern, who looks like he's about 14 in this movie. Yeah, and, I got some. Uh, I got some thoughts. About, in fact, I did a huge deep dive into like his actual age nice. in his filmography because I was blown away by. <laughs> Here, let me just get it out of the way right now. So yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, Shire gets a, a new partner. He's the wet behind the ears, you know, kind of rookie partner like these movies love. Um, Lyman Good, uh, and he's played by a very young-looking Daniel Stern, which seems odd. Uh, he's as young as he is here, because uh, this is less than 10 years before Home Alone, and he looks much older there. And now, granted, I guess that could be the, the big beard and dirty makeup and all that, so who knows? He might look like a young man in Home Alone or something, and he was just right. going because of everything under there. Um, but even look at him, some of the roles that he got after that throughout the nineties, he looks like a solidly middle-aged guy in most of that stuff. And here he looks like 22 or something. So <laughs> I guess if he was mid twenties playing younger, and then you add 15 years, that gets him into his forties in, in the nineties, but he's only 65 now. So he was 24 when he was making this movie. He's 32 yep. in home alone. And that means he was only God. 42 to 43-ish at the end of the 90s, like going into the millennium. So he's, uh-huh. he's our age now, our going age to the millennium, now. despite yeah. when you watch him in Home Alone or, or some shit like Bushwhacked or, you know, whatever yeah. in, the, in the 90s. Like, yeah. he's in his fucking 30s, which uh-huh. seems insane. Um, yeah, rookie of the year. Yeah. He's what, City 30, Slickers? City okay, Slickers. So, he's 32 when they made 30 City Slickers. So, yes, some of this could be his hairline. It could also be Billy Crystal is 75, so he's 10 years older than than him. So when they're yeah. doing City Slickers in 91, you know, they're playing friends that, I guess, that you presume they're around the same age if they're friends. I think they're all turning but, 40 or something, yeah. Yeah, well, Stern is 33 and Crystal's 43. So, uh, wow. but you think of them as contemporaries. Uh, so I guess I always assumed he was a decade older than he is. Anyway, just just weird to see him look so young and not long before his heyday where I assumed he was at least a, a decade older than he was. I mean, he, he always looked older to me when I was a kid and I know everybody looks older when you're a kid, but uh, it's just, I, I, I was kind of shocked to see this movie from 83, him look that young in that. I was like, who right. is that? Where do I know them from? What's that fucking like, you know, his nose and mouth and, and eyes and yeah. all that. And I, I'm just like, add 50 years of that. I'm like, Oh, fucking Daniel Stern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was only seven years but it's later only 40 than years. Home Alone. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he looks... Yeah, he's only 32 in Home Alone, which just blows my mind when I think yeah, about that. Yeah, like, like I said, I assumed he was at least a, a decade older than he is. But anyway, a uh, uh, good actor, and, and he's funny. He's always a game performer. He's he's the voice narrator on The Wonder Years. Uh, <laughs> yep. One of my uh, favorite shows as a kid. I thought it was funny that uh, Lyman Wood said... Uh, he took the air support job so he wouldn't have to kick in doors and get shot at. And he thought it would be quiet and easy. And I'm like, oh, I wonder how that's going to play out. Now, honestly, <laughs> this fucking movie telegraphs shit so hard. I mean, the the amount of just just dialogue and stuff like that. I've, I've got it all written down here and maybe I'll, I should save it till we get oh, to Oh, there's it. some, but yeah. There is stuff where it's just like, Oh, that's what that thing does. I hope that doesn't happen later on. Like it, it's literally yeah. just fucking feeding it to you, and and there's tons of scenes like that. But uh, yeah, it's kind of like anyway. uh, Hot Shots or Loaded Weapon, where they they kind of jokingly like 
Yeah. This guy walked under a ladder or saw a black cat. I wonder what that means. <laughs> Wayne's World 2, they're like, level. what are you guys doing? Oh, it's just our job to walk back and forth with these watermelons once in a while. It's like, <laughs> what do they do? Oh, they just walk by with that plane of glass. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the, the payoff happens. They're like, gentlemen, our job's done. And they all just pack up and go home. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, this movie's essentially about uh, helicopter patrol cops and, and what their job is like. And, you know... I, I'm not saying some of the action sequences demonstrating this are, are necessarily realistic or, you know, even even the norm as far as their day to day jobs go or as like a snapshot of these guys life. But it's interesting, uh, you know, for, for a movie to, to kind of explore these guys. We haven't really seen anything like that before. So I think it's uh, I think it was a, a good good call to make yeah. a movie that focuses on helicopter patrol cops as opposed to <laughs> regular patrol cops. It's kind right. Of- so it uh, it it starts with uh, their I don't know if they're if it's their first night but they <laughs> they go out on a uh, they're they're out on a flight they they break up a a robbery in progress or or a stole I forget what they I think it was a robbery the cops end up you know they end up they having to fly really low and dust one of the guys off with a yeah that's holding right, a right. gun towards the cops and. Uh, and then I think on the same evening, then the, is when they witness the. Uh, there's a a call for a rape in progress at this. What was she a councilwoman or mayor's assistant or? She was heading up the um task not the task force but the mayoral council on urban justice or something like that. So I don't know if okay. she's a lobbyist or she's just in his cabinet. But um, yes, she was. The whole her whole deal was to uh you know, sort of figure out like a task force or, or something for, for urban justice. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, Peter, you're, you're glossing over a very important scene that happens in this movie, right? Oh, at the please top. tell me. Uh, they, one of the perks apparently of being a helicopter cop is you can just like hang outside people's windows. Um, and so there's, I guess is it an actress or somebody that they know always does, or yes. just maybe a random girl? Does, but yeah, they know she does naked, is... naked yoga or whatever you call yeah. it. Back in '83, um, it's not even really aerobics. It's like a lot of stretching. I mean, it's essentially yoga stuff. I don't, I don't yeah. know what they called it back then. But um, so a couple things about this scene. <laughs> Number one, it's very hot. Number two, <laughs> yeah. it's very uh, well. Okay four things it's very hot it, uh-huh. the second thing is it's shockingly hot because again i did not know what kind of movie i was getting into with this i thought this was gonna be like some fucking like you know like we're gonna go take out uh you know gorbachev's fighters or something like that it was gonna be like the the climax of this movie i i had no idea that there was gonna be a scene in here with these cops just hovering outside a, a lady's window watching her do naked yoga uh in the middle of la or whatever um okay it's two things third thing it's super unrealistic because they're just hovering there watching her apparently he's yeah. done this before because he knows she's gonna do this. he's like every night 10 o'clock like co- clockwork she comes out yep. her big ass uh you know apartment living room and the fire is going and she just like takes off her clothes and does naked yoga on the rug in front of her her big bay window or whatever but i feel like even if you do do that uh 
you would notice a fucking helicopter sitting outside your window. Yeah, it's not a watching you not do in this. some stealth helicopter at this point. They're right. in a police helicopter. And you have this huge ass window. Even if you don't hear it, you're gonna just look out there eventually and right. see it. Um, but then the biggest thing that I think about this is uh, that is some shit you will never again see in a movie <laughs> these days. Yeah, this movie man stars Roy Scheider. In what I thought was going to be your dad's sort of just like uh, movie about a cool new weaponized helicopter or whatever. And then it went all fucking Death Wish 2 for a minute where it's got like, you know, full frontal nudity. And and not only that, but like, forget that. Like, you're probably not going to see full frontal nudity anymore in in like a mainstream movie. But definitely to where they're doing yoga poses where their legs are like literally like now Uh the movie doesn't quite get too graphic with this. So it's not quite as explicit as your mind is making you think it is right but it's like right there like the camera just is like one tick away from just a gynecological exam on this girl Uh because she's got her like legs over her neck and stuff she sure does it's insane that scene was a lot like i mean yeah (laughs) yeah all four of those things were like rushing through my head and so i had to like watch it four (laughs) different times just to compartmentalize which thing i was no i'm just kidding i didn't do that but so yes, I apologize but, for glancing over that part. That is a yeah. What the fuck, man? <laughs> that is one of the reasons that gets them uh, eventually suspended after the after the robbery of this of this lady, and she ends up getting shot and eventually dies. But uh, look at you so trying we to have the... segue out of something. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. No, no, oh, I was just saying it was like oh, okay. it's a good way to be like. So yeah. <laughs> Um, um, I, I didn't necessarily have more to say about it, but I, I do. I mean, that scene requires a little bit of, <laughs> you know, a little time spent on it. Yeah. Like for, for well, all those reasons I laid out, it's yeah, it's, it's yeah. insane. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, that will never happen again in a movie. If it does, it's going to be shot from like the neck up and we're just going to like kind of know what's happening, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know that, that, that shit's crazy, dude. That's all I'm uh-huh. saying about that. <laughs> The husband the husband opens the blinds and catches them as if they're being super subtle. Is that what that was? I thought it was just some like other neighbor or whatever, like in a different it was window. Like that. Yeah, it might have been. I don't know. Okay. All right, sorry to interrupt you and drag you back to that again, but hey, no, you know, that's all right. It's the best scene in the movie, right? <laughs> yeah. So that we have your uh, we have your typical. <laughs> we're taking your badges away. You're you're grounded. You're not flying anymore. Yep. Yep. And then about a night later, first we must have the year. Uh, of course, he has an estranged wife because like Bronson, <laughs> right. Chuck Norris, all these people have to have some sort of weird relationship where there's a kid and they don't really see them. They're too busy with their jobs. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is one of those movies where, um, again, it, it's kind of like, I, I wasn't expecting this, but it turns into sort of a Dirty Harry or, you know, Charles Bronson or Chuck Norris type type thing where yep. he's just this grizzled cop. In this case, he's a, a vet, a Vietnam vet, suffers from PTSD over a incident that is replayed in the movie several times. And then it also kind of tracks back to uh, Malcolm McDowell, who plays the villain in this, which I, I guess we'll get to here. But yes, you're right. Uh, well, so... It, it stars Schneider or Schneider as uh, Frank Murphy, but then also his captain, uh, played by Warren Oates, 
uh, of the Wild Bunch, Heat of the Night, Tulane Blacktop. Um, this film and one other, it's called Tough Enough, uh, were both filmed in 1981, but released this uh, year. Uh, but that's also the year he died, so they all came out after his death, yeah. which is unfortunate. Um, I like Warren Oates. Of... Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, Wild Bunch is a Wild Bunch is a really fun movie. Yep. Yeah, no, he's a great actor, and he's he's good in everything he's in. So I, yep. I was a little shocked to that I didn't know you know when he died or anything, but um, but yeah, so he had uh, this movie and um, Tough Enough both in the can, and they decided to put them out both this year, but. Uh, that's after his after he died, unfortunately. Uh, but anyway, so uh, they say stuff to Schneider, like or Schneider, uh, ha, Schneider, <laughs> got it. Schneider, you got it. Schneider. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, like, hey, uh, you feeling any pressure? And then he says stuff like, yeah, about fifteen pounds per square inch at sea level. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I did catch that line. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's just—it's funny how it's just one of these movies that, um, again, I, it's not what I was sort of expecting going in. I thought it was going to be something a little more serious or whatever, but it turns out to just be these guys all kind of treating uh, Snyder like a cop and mm-hmm. whatever. Right. Snyder. <laughs> Schneider. Schneider. <laughs> Well, we could just refer to him as Murphy from. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because there's a full Shiter discussion we're gonna have to have too at some point. Shiter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into Colonel Effie Cochran, shall we? Well, um, no, I should sure. say we bet we got to introduce ourselves to Mr. Blue Thunder or Miss Blue Thunder, the oh yeah experimental helicopter that they decide hey even though we've suspended you we're gonna show you this helicopter that we might want you to fly we got the olympics coming up mm-hmm. in la which is a very dated early 80s reference but yeah probably apropos and uh so they do a um a showcase out in the desert of how the helicopter works and it's where we meet malcolm mcdowell's at this at this uh display or whatever training exercise yeah um well they were uh in the army together or whatever and didn't like yep. each other after that <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i mean we we as the audience, he has some we... quality plot summary that's <laughs> <laughs> oh god all right you keep going because i'm clearly not going to be any help but oh no <laughs> You you just helped me there. Um, yeah, so they they're old. They're kind of rivals. We can see that, and uh, they uh, they instantly talk about you know he's Colonel's uh, what's his name Colonel Cochran Colonel F E Cochran yeah F E F E not to be confused with the name F E fuck uh easy. 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 Um. All right. So he's the yes. He is the primary. Wait. You think his name is Fuck Easy? You think that's what that stands for? (laughs) No, I know that's not. No, I know you know it's not. I. Oh my god. I was making a joke. Just like. You think that's it? (laughs) My fault. Okay. Not not a funny joke. It's fine. Sorry. (laughs) If it was funny, I wouldn't have to explain it. That's the first crime of a comedian. True. 
true, but sometimes I blame myself. Yeah, well, I blame you too. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's my it. fault. It's all my fault. Uh, so, well, you know what you slipped over, or not slipped glossed. over, but skipped over? Yeah. yeah. Glossed, slipped. Slipped, uh, Schneider. There is an interesting anecdote about his watch that uh, Schneider... Scheider! <laughs> that Scheider is always yeah. checking. Um, and he says, uh, if you think you're going crazy, you stand with your eyes closed. Uh, if you can't tell 25 seconds from 5 seconds, then that, that's how you know you are going crazy. So he's yeah. constantly like setting his watch and you know doing shit that he can get done in 25 seconds, I guess, to make sure he still thinks it's 25 and not 5. Also, the watch is one of this old school, like '80s Casio watches yeah, the or whatever. Things that's ticking up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt for that. I just didn't want us to like get too far without the watch. That's all. Yeah. No. That was a. Uh, that was a cool. That's the first time you see him is, is when they're trying to, uh, get his attention. But he's he's trying to time twenty five seconds on his on his watch. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, Mr. Cochran is the primary hmm. test pilot for Blue Thunder, and uh, isn't Cochran the name of a bad guy like pilot in some other '80s movies? Like, um, there's something yeah. where they're like Cochran, or like we gotta get. Yeah. You know. Is it? Why do I hear Danny Glover saying it? It wasn't one of those. Was no, it? I don't think it was on Lethal Weapons. But yeah, like a General Cochran or something. Oh yeah, yeah. Die, is that Die Hard too? Oh, it is Zyher, too. Yeah, Cochran yeah. with the... Uh, is he get, oh, we lost Cochran yeah. or whatever. He's one of the guys who dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Amos. But, uh, he's, like, yeah. he's like, but Cochran, sir. Oh, it's like the oh, cop. Yeah. He's like, he got away. And Cochran or whatever, yeah. he's like, he's yeah. dead. And he's uh-huh. like, the, you, the, the damage is minimal. The penalty, however, can be severe. Yeah. And then he puts the gun. Yep. Puts the gun. Yeah. Yep. We General lost Cochran. Cochran. Oh, no. Oswald yeah. Cochran. Oswald Cochran. Yeah. It's American uh, it's, something to Honduras. Yeah. And... Reginald Bell Johnson saying that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not Danny Glover. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Sorry, racist. <laughs> yeah. You could see the wheels <laughs> spinning in our heads. No, but you got there. Yep. That's, that's good. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well. <laughs> So, should we should we go through the plot or should we just talk about our thoughts on this talk more about plot? oswald cochran's uh yeah resume? Cochran. <laughs> died in a helicopter accident uh i forget what the yeah. date is 89 if you look yeah. between the lines it looks like a bunch of black bag stuff to me it's like yeah you're not pissing anybody's pool are you yeah i'm gonna yeah. fresh out of chlorine dun, dun, hey dun. i get I get off in a minute. You want to get a drink? He's like, just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. <laughs> yep. That movie is so fucking good. How, I know. how he does it? it. Yeah. You can do I, it, right? I know. Then I you put a ring on. A, yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was something he was like doing with the joints and his finger. I didn't realize. What? <laughs> no, dude. Yes. Yes. I'm serious. That's what I thought. Well, we were like 10 or whatever. So that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, have you ever held on to any of those dumb things like throughout your life and then only realized it like a year ago that some movie that you always thought was saying something or, or you know, like the line was this or yes, you yes, thought absolutely. what they were doing with their hand or, or why this person, I don't know, fucking, I can't think of a great yeah. example, but like there's stuff where I'm watching, I'm like, why is that person leaning so weird that way? It's like, oh, I never noticed like somebody's 
holding him from whatever. Uh-huh. Like, that's not a right. great no, example. I get exactly what you're. No, I get exactly yeah. what you're saying. Okay. Shit, you just right. understood as fact back in the day was completely different when you saw it again at a later right. age. Right. Well, because you're so used to seeing that and thinking at the same time, you never like stop to think if you've maybe read these things wrong or right. or whatever, and because it's just so ingrained as a part of what you think that that movie is or whatever um i will say since we're talking about it uh one thing i had to rewind this movie for was i swear to god when daniel stern gets killed uh, spoiler lyman dies in this because we're yeah lyman good we're not in the yeah lyman good we're not in the plot anymore but um he he gets shot and he's laying there and then there's a scene where like they kind of his head's up and they go, he died. And then it kind of like lowers back down. Did and I'm like, I'm like, is fucking Daniel Stern like supposed to be dead, but controlling his head. But after I, I rewound that. it, yeah. After I rewound yeah. it, I noticed that the, the guy, the, the medic's other hand is under his head. So he's like, under but yeah, but it doesn't really look like that. If you're not actually looking for what's right. supporting it looks his like head. he's lowering it back. Yeah. Like, oh, it's not like now. a close up on him. I literally fucking right. rewound that to be like, cause, cause I gotta talk shit about it. I'm like, but, but before I get on the podcast and say, uh, this movie is so dumb and fake and whatever, yeah. let me just rewind it. Then I realized, okay, the paramedic was, I did the bad. same thing. I was also high. Well, it's like right. it could just be the weed playing tricks. It. <laughs> yeah. It's the best way to watch a movie sometimes. You know, it wasn't like super high. It was just like, oh, maybe enough to. I should rewind that before I yes. assume I know what <laughs> right. happened. And I'm glad I did. I'm a better man for it, Peter. He gets zip tied and then ran over by. Oh, fuck. Yeah. The... Yeah. Yeah, which was gnarly. <laughs> yeah, let me um I I've got I don't know, I've got so many thoughts on this, but you kind of brought up one of them and I was going to go to it, but well, okay, let, we can stop to kind of summarize the movie. Maybe we should just like kind of go sure. through it and as we as I as I hit bullet points, we can uh, talk about this. Now, I do want to talk about um and I'm not going to do it right now cuz I got to move to a different uh, uh screen or or note section. But I do want to talk about before we finish up the the production notes on this and how this movie originally was intended and all that, because it turns out my assumption about it being like something a little more like, you know, hardcore cerebral, whatever was its original intent, but it got kind of changed around in the, uh, you know, production process or, or whatever. when they started moving this movie around. Right. You with me? I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> all right so i want to check on that later um i thought this movie was uh strangely topical um with its discussions of you know racial tensions and people not liking cops and when the mayor's you know uh, special counsel or whatever on urban justice which is a, a very like uh oh uh if you wonder why some of this stuff in the movie is so like weird sort of like uh the the cops are metropolitan police not lapd it's because lapd oh, wouldn't allow them to say that Oh really? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's what I'm saying. We gotta get to the production notes. There's some interesting stuff in there. But anyway, the, uh, same thing with the with this. Like the you know, there's she's just the kind of generic male male. So the generic mayor's special counsel on urban justice. You don't really know what that means, but you know she's shot and she's killed. And one reporter says something like, "We believe the suspects are immigrants, almost certainly illegals," and you know stuff like that. So it's it's kind of weird watching this movie now where we're talking about stuff like uh, you know border and um just the, just crime and how there's all this fear-mongering yep. to people you know 
worried about that and then uh, not people not liking the cops and tensions between people and cops and racial tensions between cops and people um thought it was kind of interesting that this movie parallels some of that stuff uh we didn't really talk too much about when they introduced big thunder big thunder blue thunder <laughs> but i i thought it was pretty fucking funny like it, it cuts to this shot of like a sunset you know like it's like With a top the, gun of shot course there's a su- yeah. yeah yeah and then yeah fucking <laughs> so uh the the that thing is coming out of the sun like drenched in silhouette as if it's like a transformer king kong or some shit it's like right they're introducing it as like this monster yeah this this character or whatever it's it's Uh, pretty fucking funny yeah yeah, it's just a helicopter with guns on it that's painted blue (laughs) yeah and so then then they go to that demonstration you're talking about it's i thought it was funny or telling uh that during you know the the demonstration they say uh it should shouldn't hit any of the white dummies in just the red ones and black cars (laughs) so to explain uh the demonstration of blue thunder is that it, it can hit all of its targets and they set up this sort of um you know, like when cops play, you know, combat in the firing range and the, the, the mm-hmm. wood things pop up with the face on it. You don't want to shoot yep. the civilians, but you shoot the bad guys, whatever. Kind of like that, except it's just a bunch of like either either white cardboard cutouts of people standing next to like white cars or it's like these red cardboard cutouts and black cars and stuff like that. And I'm like, OK, well, yeah, you probably need a, a, a target to see or whatever. So I was OK when mm-hmm. I first saw that. But then when <laughs> they said that. And then I'm like, okay, this movie obviously already has its like sort of head into the a whole, you know, people against police and racial tensions mm. and all that stuff. I thought that was it was pretty funny. And then to top it all off, they have a black cop character saying that shit, <laughs> like, <laughs> like don't shoot the white shit, just shoot the red and black shit. Like I thought, yeah, thought that was really really very funny, unintentionally or or not. <laughs> I'm I'm guessing it was unintentional, but you never know. <laughs> really, though, no, because this movie clearly has a little bit of like politics about it. Oh, sure, absolutely. I, I guess unless I unless unless they're maybe just using that as a crutch. They're like, oh, if we throw some stuff in here about like here, what are buzzwords from like what a mayor uh, would be talking about or whatever at the yeah. time, and they just chuck that stuff in there. Maybe they had no actual headiness about it. Right. Um, Urban, but I don't yeah, know. Urban violence, yeah, yeah. I Who feel knows? Like <laughs> well, it's weird. You think of like '92 as being the great like race riots of right, LA and LA stuff riots. like that, but yeah, yeah, maybe they were going some, through some shit in '82 also. I don't yeah, know. Very popular. Th- They're probably yeah, always. I gonna... say, yeah, I was gonna say they probably always have, at least, especially out that way. It's never been very good. Yeah, like Boys in the Hood, if it was made in 81 instead of 91, would still be the same yeah. movie. They'd just be wearing, like, uh, you know, disco clothes or something. Right. Breakdancing clothes. <laughs> Crenshaw so, Boulevard. Crash. Sunday afternoon. <laughs> okay. Was that Ice-T? Uh, uh, yeah, that's got a lot of love. Remember when the Crips and the Bloods made a yeah, truce? Yeah, got a lot of love. Yep. Yeah. 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 That's a great song. Indeed, man. They're all great songs. <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so Malcolm McDowell, we kind of glossed over him, but he's he's uh, a fucking slice, right? Like I'm not saying like in a sexual, like he's hot way, but like he's he's something else. He's one yes, of those guys who always looks like gloriously, you know, just unhinged. He's got that mm. face, such a distinct look. Yeah, uh, this is our second uh, our second 
Malcolm McDowell film. I believe Cat People was our was that our first podcast ever? That was our first podcast yeah. ever. Yet to be posted. I'm I'm hanging out of that one so when we become yeah. super famous, we can like auction yeah. it off for like eight yeah, billion exactly. dollars. Yeah, like you want to hear these guys on, on the very first thing? No yeah. editing. <laughs> yeah. People ain't ready. <laughs> no, no, they're not. Judging by the numbers, they are not ready. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Perhaps we're not ready. I don't know. Perhaps we're ready. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but he, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, Malcolm McDowell. Spill he's it. He's a perfect. Uh, he's a perfect villain because he's he's got that look. He's got the unhinged. He's got the British accent. Uh I don't know. He wasn't as powerful as a, a villain in this movie as other movies like. In terms of making you hate the guy, what does he do? Un unscrew what he does this. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. He does. Just, that's yeah, what he I does. Mean, Malcolm McDowell really loves to do this thing where he uh clicks finger guns at him, but what does he say? He's like uh catch you later or what does he catch say? Catch you later or something like that, yeah. Uh it's mentioned earlier that this uh bird, if you will, can record all kinds of shit. So like when they're sitting on some side somebody's window, they put the microphone on it and it, it just can record it. Scheider and Lyman Good uh, hijack this helicopter. They take it and fly it to the Malcolm McDowell residence. They record what he's saying. They take it back. All the corrupt individuals now know that that bird can record all that stuff. There's the switches on Blue Thunder. So they're like, hey, if you hit this, it, it you know, hits record. And if you hit this, I don't know why they sound like Sylvester Stallone. But and they're, and they're, they're just like, if you do all this other stuff, so they're like, here's mute mode. And then every time Roy Scheider does something, he's like, he's like, don't let him hear you. I guess that's good for mute mode. And then, you know, there's other stuff like infrared mode. And so they're like, oh, let me turn on infrared mode. And like, I guess what I'm saying is, Fucking Blue Thunder is a plot device. Let this movie do whatever batshit nuts crap it needs to do in order to prove these bad guys did this thing. Yep. Like it's like if you were a cop and you're like, oh, what's what's some like weird machine I could use to just like give me everything I need to solve this case without having to get up off my ass? It would be like a little Blue Thunder panel or something. Yeah. <laughs> Blue Thunder droid. Yeah. 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 There, there you go. That'd be the sequel. Get, get John Bottom out of retirement. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're going to give you $50,000. I, I didn't mean million. I meant thousand. To take this droid and make your, your last movie. It's a sequel to Blue Thunder called Blue Do you Droid. Think at 83, he'd be interested in that. Written uh, by the four, big 4-0 guys. Yeah, he's going to be like, I love, I love it. Yeah. Every Everything's very convenient. And they telegraph their you know, what's going to happen with the dialogue a ton. Um, Malcolm McDowell, we said is amazing. Uh, you wanted him to be a little more villainous. Oh, now we're heading yeah. back in the right direction. Yes. I did. Uh, I did think in terms of bad guys, besides him trying to kill him with the helicopter crash, there wasn't much, you know, yeah, they would. Uh, yeah. They didn't threaten his daughter or anything. I know the cops were after, or not his daughter, his wife, estranged wife, whatever. Is that his wife or new girlfriend? I don't even know. Was that his kid? I think it's his like <laughs> new girlfriend. I think it's her kid. I think he's. Oh, the, okay. You know... Yeah, she yeah. We, we glossed over that entire whole part of this movie. Yeah, there's this whole subplot with uh, 
that was kind of weird too, where she like breaks into his house and he almost kills her. Mm-hmm. And then she shows up with a kid and like throws him out. And we're supposed to be like, oh, ho, ho. Yeah, like, but he was like not returning his calls. She's like on the fence about whether they even have a relationship. She's like, are we still talking? And then by the end of that night, yeah. he's like just making out with her and stuff. And I guess maybe that's supposed to be the point of this because you're supposed to be like, oh, he realized that he likes her. But it's a super weird transition for the audience yeah. because like it sounds like he's trying to push her away and get her out of his life. And then she shows up with the kid and then he almost shoots him. And then that makes him like, you know, you think he'd even be just more pissed. He's like, oh, God, like this is another reason why this can't go on. Exactly. And then, you know, you she finds key? this birthday present. Maybe that turns his heart. He's like, I bought it for you. But he never gave it to her, which is weird. Like, what did he think he was doing when the birthday rolled around? Uh, maybe it was upcoming. That could be it. But either way, still, she so she finds this birthday gift. She's like, she's like, oh, here, fucking... I don't know what she wanted him to do with it, but he's like, no, I can't do that. Cause it's for you. He's like, Oh, go give it to somebody else. Uh, give it to me later. Give it. Why yeah. didn't you give it to me before? I don't know what she said, but he's like, I, Oh, she's like, return it. I don't know what the fuck. Anyway, there, there's something about the tablecloth thing. Anyway. Oh, the, finds yes. The... Yeah. That's right. <laughs> you just she... didn't know what I was talking about this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> it was taking me a minute. <laughs> Remember? Yeah. She comes into yeah. the house looking for this tablecloth. And, no, uh, I don't think she was looking. She was looking for her blender, and then she found. She's like, "What's this?" And she opens oh, this yeah. box, this tablecloth, and she says something. He's like, "I can't," because I. Oh, she's like, "Why didn't you ever get me anything like this?" Or I don't know. And he's like, "I did. I got this for you for your birthday or something." <laughs> yes, that's what it was. Yep. One thing <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny was that they have this like fucking beta level computer on Blue Thunder, but they can shout shit into it like whatever and then it pops up on the screen at all yeah. in that day and age so i get what they're going for. it's got dude's address and then yeah. some people it says shit like just got out of prison or whatever like other people it, it, like it, it only gives them exactly what they need so every time they're like oh why don't you pull up they can't say google as it wasn't a thing but like why don't you google uh, jack mcbride or whatever they do that and then for him it'll say exactly what they need to know like just left home 10 minutes ago and then for like somebody else it, it just you know barely has their their address or whatever <laughs> right yeah for because he's like google google myself frank uh marshall or whatever. what's his what's the uh right shiter frank murphy name yeah yeah frank yeah, murphy. Look it up. Yep. yeah he's like do that and then th- there's some like it gives his address and then something weird comes up like file pending or <laughs> you know whatever oh yeah <laughs> but more trouble on the horizon say. <laughs> what? No, in like terms of it him? saying file pen, yeah, for him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> I thought you were like, yeah, it said trouble on the horizon. <laughs> like, <laughs> like when he looked himself up, there he was like, oh, <laughs> I got trouble coming. It's on the horizon. Luckily, I'm in a helicopter, so it's a higher horizon line. <laughs> Um, okay, I like how uh, Malcolm McDowell just pulls out a gun and starts shooting at Shire's chopper. Like, I know that happens in, you know, action movies a lot. And uh, it, it, <laughs> oh, it and they steal so, it. Like, yeah. It seems so unexpected, like out of character for the movie to this point. Like, you have not established the uh, the commando-esque level villain of <laughs> shoot right. at a chopper. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, because he wasn't wanted at that point, was he? That's what got him wanted. No, I, well, I mean, either way, it's just like, I, you know, none of these guys think they're going to 
shoot this. Like they've spent the whole movie jacking off to how amazing this plane is and <laughs> right. it's like bulletproof and missile proof. And then he's just like pulls out a gun and starts blasting at it like a <laughs> normal 80s villain. It's crazy. I like those moments in this movie. It, it reminds you it's it's just you know, like like the naked the yoga. And, yeah. Yeah, and like you led to with uh Lyman Wood's death. Like that's that's crazy. Like there's just some like shit out of nowhere that just, yeah. You this movie has something like that, and then it lulls you back into this idea that oh, this is your dad's fucking like you know action thriller, and then all of a sudden yeah. some guy gets like plowed over in the face with a car, and like it's it's <laughs> very like it, it follows yeah. the trajectory of the body rolling out from underneath, or or yeah, they didn't five cut minutes away. of that was naked right. yoga with like bush, <laughs> like it's fucking weird, like yeah. <laughs> So you got to appreciate stuff like that in this movie. Every, you know, the, the movie, it's it's like a weird genre movie all of a sudden every 15 minutes or so. And it's just, I yep. don't know, I'm kind of here for that. I feel like it's the kind of movie like my grandpa would have gone to the scene and been like, oh, I can't wait to see Roy Scheider, uh, you know, hand it to the whoever. <laughs> and then he's all of a sudden just like, whoa, what's with all this like insane political subtext and uh, violence and nudity every like, few minutes. <laughs> Rated Did, uh... PG. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was R. <laughs> I think it was R, yeah. I think the, the beaver probably put it over. Yeah, well, anyway, other than that, given 1982's standard for uh, PG. Yeah. I mean, True sheesh. Story. <laughs> right. I like, oh, I love this part. Remember when <laughs> Scheider blows the cop car in half and it's still driving around for a bit on its own like, yes. momentum until it crashes? Yes. Like a little chicken with its head cut off? Yeah. <laughs> That's such a Flame great bit. shooting out the back. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. That, some uh, of that shit was some of that shit was pretty well done and there's some good action. Yeah, but there's dumb shit like too, like where the, the bad guys are just authorized to engage shooting missiles at Scheider over, you know, downtown LA. <laughs> Yeah, and they're blowing up innocent buildings and yeah, that missile hits that building and the and there's the yeah. people below like that's insane. Yeah. It's like some shit out of nine eleven or whatever. It's crazy, <laughs> right, right? And then there's yeah, like oh, then... oopsie dopes. Like luckily there's no casualties. I mean yeah. to be fair though, fucking have, did you notice L A in this movie looks completely deserted? Like ever yes. all those aerial <laughs> shots all the time. Like nobody's ever around. Even when they're driving on the street, there's there's hardly yeah. anybody there. It's it's really weird. The, the streets are there. There's always clear. There's no crowd scenes. It's just, it, it's weird. This movie is. Yeah. The only place where it looked, uh, where there was at least probably a bunch of extras was when they, was when McDowell crashed their helicopter. They crashed into that construction site. Yeah. But see, well, I mean, like, okay, hundreds so... of people run into that, but. Yeah, they use a, a couple scenes like that, but I mean, for the most part, all the all the mm -hmm. big action scenes and stuff like that, there's there's nobody around. So right, no, I did notice that too. They they must have cleared those streets hardcore for that. Yeah, but you would think they would want to have uh, some crowd there, unless that's just right. Not an option if you're not actually shooting over LA or something. Well, anyway, that brings me to some of the stuff I wanted to talk about with this movie. Um, so. It, they began developing this plot in the late 70s, I guess. They're, well, co-writers Dan O'Bannon and Don Jacoby began developing the plot while living together in Hollywood apartment in the 70s where low-flying police helicopters woke them on a regular basis. 
The original script was a more political one, attacking the concept of police state controlling the population through high-tech surveillance and heavy armament. They sought and received extensive script help from Captain Bob Woods, then chief of LAPD's Air Support Division. The first draft of the screenplay for Blue Thunder was written in 1979 and featured Frank Murphy as a more crazy main character with deeper psychological issues who went on a rampage and destroyed much of Los Angeles before finally falling to F-16s. So that's the fucking movie this could have been. <laughs> yeah, that would have been wild. Yeah. It's too bad that movie never really got made. Yeah. The script was rewritten by American screenwriter Dean Reisner with directions on the style of dialogue from director john bottom so it sounds like they turned it into a little more of a crowd pleaser although the film was shot in los angeles and real life neighborhoods are mentioned the lapd did not allow any references to be made to them hence the police force is known as the more generic metropolitan police and frank murphy is part of the fictional astro division rather than the real life air support division the astro also, Operation Thor mm-hmm. is probably not a real thing. I'm guessing not, but it sounds like something they would do. Yep. Um, oh, Malcolm McDowell is insanely afraid of flying. Yeah, I saw that. Not even his then-wife, Mary Steenburgen, could persuade him to overcome his phobia. <laughs> Huh. Well, if Steenburgen can't, then who can? I mean, right. Isn't she married to Ted Danson now or something? Yep. McDowell's grimaces and discomfort can be seen during the climactic battle between Murphy and Cochran in the film. Steenburgen commented to filmmakers afterwards, I don't know how you got him up there. I can't even get him in a 747. Well, that's the thing. Like, If you're that deathly afraid of flying... I don't know if this would be the movie I'd take on, but maybe he still felt like he needed to prove to himself or to anyone for that matter that he could do whatever roles challenged him. But God, I'm not, I'm, I'm not afraid of flying, but I don't really, (laughs) it takes some bravery to do something like that. Even if it's for a movie. Designer Mickey Michaels created the helicopters used in the film. After reviewing and rejecting various existing designs, the helicopters used for Blue Thunder were French-built. They were purchased uh, from Aristopolites by Columbia Pictures for $190,000 each, flown to Cinema Air in Carlsbad, California, where they're heavily modified for film. The alterations made the helicopters so heavy that various tricks had to be employed to make it look fast and agile for the film. For instance, the 360-degree loop maneuver Murphy performs at the end of the film, which catches Cochran so completely by surprise that he's easily shot down by Murphy's gunfire and killed, was carried out by radio-controlled models. (laughs) Well, it didn't look that impressive, so I'm not shocked. I thought the uh, aerial gymnastics were pretty good in this one. Yeah, just just that one part. You could tell it was, uh, it was not a real helicopter, but yeah, no, I mean, Blue Thunder. Some... Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. Nope, finish your thought. I didn't mean to just fucking kill it. <laughs> Blue Thunder. Yes. Yeah, uh, all right, now, if I may, Blue Thunder was released on May 13th, 1983. 
uh, it was the number one movie that weekend. It displaced Flashdance. Um, so on that note, I'm going to go into our fun little uh, chart of movies for the weekend. So for the weekend of May 13th, 1983, number one is Blue Thunder. Brand new this weekend, making $8.528 million. Peter, would you like to take a guess as to what number two is this weekend? Mm, did Flashdance drop to two? Are you guessing it did? That's my <laughs> guess. Yes, I don't, ha- I don't have anything in front of me. No, Flashdance is number three this weekend. Damn it. Okay. I have no guess then what number two is. Well, if you do a little thinking about the last couple hours... <laughs> A breathless. <laughs> Very good. It made right. four point three eight four million dollars. Now this is interesting. It's made about only half of what uh, Blue Thunder did, despite being the number one two movie. But it's funny that it was a number one movie, and I think it's number one for the next three weeks if the stuff I looked at was accurate. And um, it's funny that that movie is like a number one movie, and nobody really talks about it anymore, right? Or at all, or ever did, or I I don't know. Yeah, it ended up doing pretty damn well. I mean, it did it did spawn a TV series, which I was going to bring up. So, yeah, uh, I believe it only lasted a year or two. But... One season. Yeah, and uh, okay. I think Warren Oates was in one episode of it. Oh, nice. I think he filmed one or something before he died. Maybe that was supposed to be the whole thing all along. I don't know. I didn't look okay. into it. But, um, number three, as we said, is Flashdance. That made uh, 3.4 that weekend. Dr. Detroit is number four, 2.4. Still smoking. Cheech and Chong, number five. Yeah. Tootsie is still in this fucking top 10, number six. <laughs> it's up to 165 million at this point. Guess what number seven is? It's a movie we recently reviewed. Um, not The Hunger. <laughs> Uh, what else did we do the night of the hunger? Um, night of the hunger. The night of the hunger. Uh, uh, it wasn't the, that movie too. No, it's uh, <laughs> it's Valley Girl. Oh, there we go. Wait, did we? One that point. was the other one we did, right? Yeah. Yeah, there we go. That's what I was asking. Was it the other one we did the night? It's of the hunger? answer to both things, Peter. It's the one we did, and it's the answer to this fucking question. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude! <laughs> you got a you got a two for one. All right. <laughs> Even or two for two. Uh, two for two, baby. Two for two. two. For two. <laughs> Touch me again, I'll kill you. All right. Uh, that's up to five something. Gandhi is eight. Uh, oh. that movie currently almost at fifty million dollars. Uh, number nine is Something Wicked This Way Comes by Disney. Number 10 is E.T. up to 354.3 million at this point. And number 11 is the movie with your favorite actor of all time, Matt Dillon. <laughs> with the Outsiders. The outsiders. Yep. 24.3 million. Uh, it, it's coming to a close there. I think it only made around 26 or something. So, yeah. But anyway, yeah. Not a bad week for movies in 1980s. Now, but do you think if uh, we'd have like been laying around our house in 1983 and we saw this uh, lineup of films at the, uh, uh, you know, cinema, yeah, we'd say, 
ah, I'm going to take in Breathless and Blue Thunder. This like, <laughs> Think of us, not necessarily now, because now movies are weird and people just don't go to them as much and stuff, but think of us in, say, 1996. Yeah. Blue Thunder and Breathless were your options. I think... Hold on, though. I think I would have not as yeah. they are because they'd they'd have been like upgraded right. to ninety six level thing. But yes, like say right. say we're the same age in ninety six. So say we're fifteen and eighty three. Yeah. Do you yeah. think these two movies would have appealed to us? Yes. How about twenty five and eighty three? No. Definitely, probably not breathless unless it was. I'd probably see it with a chick, but Blue Thunder, I would have definitely seen it. Age oh, 25. so you think Breathless is like kind of like a romantic comedy type? <clears throat> a little bit, a little bit. I'm just saying, when I'm thinking about my age perceiving that movie, I would think of it as not a not a romantic comedy, uh, just a more of a, yeah. a date movie. Be like uh, like something to talk about or something. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Another Dennis Quaid reference. Or like nothing but trouble. Nothing or, but trouble. Yeah. yeah. Some... No, wait, that's not what I'm thinking of. I Love Trouble. Oh, that's I Love Trouble. Yeah, filmed in Madison. Really? Yep. Nolte was here? Yep, Nolte in and Robert state? were here in our state. Yep. That son of a bitch. <laughs> well, I think um, yeah, throughout what? the next... Uh, I was going to say, throughout the rest of the year when we're doing our top tens, I think the one of the movies we're doing next time is going to be on that list probably the entire... Rest of the year. Ooh, caged heat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's gonna go on to go gross over five hundred million dollars. Oh, oh, oh! I thought you meant your top ten list. Like when we get done with this and we do our top ten list of the year, you're like, <laughs> oh no, no, no! Whatever we're doing next week is gonna be on it for sure. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know, I know, I know what's coming. I know what the yeah. grosses are for that. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be an interesting discussion uh yeah i mean i don't know i um i bought that trilogy i'm guessing it had to be when force awakens came out okay wait 15 is that what, is that what the first yeah the the first yep. of the new ones yeah the force awakens yeah yeah i was like okay i guess i like i've never really liked the star wars movies i should give this stuff a chance so i watched all of them and um now I'm kind of back in a point where I'm like, I should probably watch those again because I really don't remember whatever. But you're going to be talking to a guy who's seen that movie twice, tops. <laughs> really? <laughs> spread out by about... I mean, I probably saw it as a kid. That's definitely one of those, like... Probably yeah. saw it, don't remember it, and then watched it in 30 years later, and yeah. now we'll and watch it again watch it for, for this, this podcast. Yeah. yeah, that's me with that. And that film, Despite by the way... Parts on TV. What? Right. Is no oh, that film by the way is called Return of the Jedi for those who are curious, those who are waiting on. I didn't say it because I probably would have said Empire Strikes Back, so that's exactly <laughs> how, how how far up the rabbit hole I am on this one. I don't so yeah, know. I like I don't. Those are... We don't we don't have to be Star Wars guys in order for people to listen to a podcast, do we? No, not at all. Well. Let's look into that. If the answer is yes, next time I'm going to come in like a big Wookiee hat or some shit. <laughs> Whole pies will just need to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have an Ewok on the shelf behind you? 
I'm not going to attempt to do an Ewok. I'm not going to attempt it. <laughs> attempt not. See, I know all the stupid references. I don't even need to watch the movies. It's so fucking annoying. I know what that is. Isn't he an Ewok? No, he's, he's like not. an old Ewok, right? No, it's not an Ewok. All right, everybody. Uh, rate. Like, I don't know how this one fucking went off the rails. We're, we saved the serious movie for last. Yeah. We have to talk faster and get out of here before all the, the booze and shit kicks in. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should just not booze, but no, no, no. <laughs> I don't know. Like you said, this is like our Tuesday I, night bowling. You put I it do... into perspective for me. All right. What? Everybody like rate subscribe, uh, run out your door and shout into the street. Text your ex. Um, and email your mom to watch you dialing up yourself listening to the big four. (laughs) 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 Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to save it. That's oh, quite God. the that's quite the sign off. <laughs> yeah. Email oh, your man. mom. <laughs> that's not even the bad part. The part was I was supposed no, to say the... uh to listen to the big four, but then I said to watch, and then I really had to <laughs> yeah. scramble. Anyways. Do what you gotta do. Watch the big four O. Listen to no, the Big Four O. No, Stream the Big Four O. <laughs> Stroke the Big Four O. Braille. <laughs> Braille that shit. Okay. Uh, Peter, it's to... always a pleasure. Uh, next hey. week, I guess we're going to be reviewing uh, the, the the big, big time movie of the year. <laughs> yeah. We'll be doing Return Empire of the Jedi and back, yeah. Caged Heat <laughs> or Chained Heat. It's a Linda Blair movie. Ooh. No. I okay, you're gonna keep me straight on which Star Wars one we're doing. I'm gonna keep you straight on this. Yes, we're re- doing Cage Teat. Right. And also check. Return of the Jedi. Uh you know, Peter, there were several sequels to Cage Teat as well, so don't think that Jedi is the only big contender for <laughs> America's favorite uh, franchise. Trilogy. Yeah. Franchise. You got it. There's one with you Brigitte Nielsen. Oh, Page she's T2. in one of those. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Well, you know what? If you want to hear more Can't interesting wait. tidbits. <laughs> yeah, tune in next week. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. That's going to be a fun one to edit. That's all I got to say. All right, Peter. I love you. Don't uh, do, do your best. I, lo- I love you too. Don't go changing. <laughs> Don't go chasing waterfalls.